Okay, let's see. It can hear me. Perfect. Um, let's move on. Uh, let's see. Uh, sorry, folks. So what I'm doing, uh, I'm I'm not uh, going to. Uh, I'm I'm not going to um, edit this because. Um, basic ba basically um i don't uh want uh i, I want to be as transparent as possible with everyone so uh with that said let's uh move on to the sponsor and then i will send the invite link to uh mr murphy who is running for the senate in the, uh, the United States Senate in the state of uh, Wisconsin. So with that being said, uh, thank you for, uh, folks for tuning in and thank you to adammail.com for sponsoring The Dewey Show. Do you want to spice up your sex life? Well, Adam Mel has you covered. They have sex toys, condoms, lubricants, underwear, DVDs, and much, much more. And by much, much more, I mean that they have literally thousands of items that will make you and your partner very happy and very satisfied. That alone sounds fantastic. Uh, however, uh, it gets better because if you go to adamel.com and you use the offer code DEWEY at checkout, you will get 50% off of almost any one item as well as free and always discreet shipping. That's adammel.com, A-D-A-M-M-A-L-E.com. And the offer code is DEWEY that you use at checkout, D-E-W-E-Y. Along with everything else I talk about today, this link and offer code will be in the description of today's episode. So thank you to adammel.com for sponsoring the Dewey Show. Let's see if that helps a little bit. Makes it a little better, right? So, um, all right, I'm going to send this over to Mr. Murphy. And uh, there it went, as you can hear, probably. I am really nervous about this interview. Very, uh, very nervous. Um, I could look up some news but i will tell you some uh stuff that i know that i've seen in the news so the queen uh elizabeth ii uh she has covid unfortunately um she is following uh the law um i guess it's law i'm not 100 percent sure but she will be um quarantining and doing her best basically to not spread the illness. Um, so yeah, I am a, a little early to this. So um, I, I'm nervous, just so you know. I have not um, interviewed someone in a while. Let's see what else we can talk about until uh, Adam gets the or excuse me, Mr. Murphy gets the uh, 
link in. I think there's a password, but I don't, I'm new to Zoom, surprisingly. You would think that, you know, pandemic guy, but I predominantly use Skype because, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've just always used Skype with uh, business video calls. Uh, let's see. So um, I'm just to make sure that he got it. I am going to resend it because ironically and weirdly, if I email him from my personal account, which is an Outlook account, um, he gets the uh, message. But um, if I email him at my uh, dues, the uh, info at dues.news, uh, he doesn't get it. It's really weird. Or it might go into his trash. I don't know. I don't see the man's email. So uh, let's see. Uh, sent to Adam uh, Murphy here. Let's see. Blah, blah, blah. Copy. Bam. I really should sign into my uh, Outlook account on um, the computer, which is how it is. So, yeah, I'm basically just uh, speaking until uh, he has a chance to uh, log on. By the way, very kind of him to do this, taking the time. Uh, Let's see. Uh, oh, Ted Cruz said that he'll lift the hold on Biden nominees. So basically, Mr. Murphy. Hey, Dewey, how you doing? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Still here at uh, at campus, so pardon the blackboard behind me. Well, pardon the everything behind me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just snuggled. I'm just snuggled up, my friend. Uh, outside, it's snowing oh. shoveled some snow and yeah uh it is uh it, it we haven't seen snow at all in utah um up until now we've we're we're actually in a drought scenario here in wisconsin uh have been for most of the winter i think down here in milwaukee we have seven inches on the season where we'd normally have much more than that although we did have about a quarter of inch ice that fell yesterday so that slowed oh. everything down yeah, for sure. Um, one of my friends uh, who lives, uh, I believe, in Texas, uh, the uh, governor mandated. No, it wouldn't have been in Texas since this is the case, but the governor mandated uh, state workers to um, get the vaccine and uh, her, uh, the people that drive the uh, what do you call them? snow plow trucks um they quit all of them oh no yeah so she's Good stuck grief. on the hill Ugh, what a mess all right sir so um i have here uh seven questions including an icebreaker one at the first and then a fun one at the end that i kept a mystery to you uh, so to be transparent, uh, I sent these uh, to Mr. Murphy before uh, I began 
the podcast because I wanted to give him uh, time to think about these questions. Um, and uh, I would do this for a conservative, independent, uh, Democrat, whatever the case is. So uh, the icebreaker question uh, isn't this, but uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Mr. Murphy. Uh, first, let me say I appreciate getting the questions ahead of time. Um, it's one of those things we always debate when it comes to debates and discussions like this, is do we get the questions ahead of time or not? And the advantage is, obviously, we can give a little bit more concise answer. Uh, there's there's some advantage, I think, to to the random question that we don't know about. But as a U.S. senator, you don't get random often, right? We're, we're going to be spending time thinking about things, debating things, researching things, having teams that are that are looking into things for us. And so it's it's uh, as much as I enjoy debate, uh, and, and like I said, those occasional uh, off-the-wall questions, uh, the truth of the matter is I, I prefer to be able to give a solid, informed answer. So from that perspective, I appreciate it. Uh, and I think that tells you a little bit about me. Um, so I've owned a software company for 18 years. I worked at FedEx for 10 years. Before that, I started when I was when I was 18. Uh, loading planes and trucks in the middle of the night. And that gave me great opportunity. And I was a part-time employee with full-time benefits. That doesn't happen anymore. So I think that started to um, to shape my, my philosophy on life, the universe, and everything. I wrote my first computer program form when I was 19 years old. Uh, just wow. as, as um, to make my life easier, and to make the life of the people around me easier. Uh, like I said, I was a cargo handler, loading planes and trucks for $8.42 an hour in the middle of the night. Um, and so this is just kind of a fun history is my manager was cool enough to recognize that that little program that I wrote on a floppy disk 30 plus years ago was going to save FedEx money, uh, that perhaps other locations could use it. And so I was 19 years old and I got shipped off to Indianapolis to meet with vice presidents at FedEx and show them this little floppy disk. Uh, and it saved him a million bucks a year. I got a hundred dollars oh, wow. out of the deal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a yeah. million a year for them, a hundred bucks for you. Wow. Well, but, <laughs> but what it did get me, and this is the, this is the fun part of the story is, uh, so this was around 1990, 1991. So PCs were just starting to come out. Um, you know, FedEx was all still green screens and, and, uh, green and white line paper with printers that made a whole hell of a lot of noise. And it gave me the opportunity to start to meet some people, and FedEx was starting to to incorporate uh, PCs into into their systems. And at that time, I had grown up in that era, uh, and so many of the people, you know, like I said, I was nineteen. So many people there were thirties and forties, and computers were terrifying. Uh, and so I had this cool opportunity to get involved with. Uh, analyzing data and designing databases of doing training all across the country, traveling, uh, uh, teaching, uh, crossing a whole lot of departmental lines uh, is, is really what wound up happening. It gave me this wonderful insight, and, and I was there for 10 years. I helped them with our ISO 9000 in, uh, implementation when they were looking at quality services um, implementation. Uh, it gave me the ability to delve really into data analysis, statistics and that sort of thing and so then when i started my own my own business uh, my own software company i'd continue that and 
it's it's kind of what I bring to the the table as a candidate for Senate. You know, one of your questions later on is is about me versus Ron Johnson. But I think when we talk politics in general, uh, one of the things that we really that I feel we're missing is uh, yeah, right. There's so many lawyers uh, in politics, and I can't oh yeah, we're, we're making laws. Um, but I laughed when I started to look at running for office, and I started uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so I ran in 2020 for Wisconsin State Senate. But when I decided to get into politics, I decided to uh, try to become the politician that I would want to actually vote for. And so I went back to college. I didn't have a degree. Right? I've owned a software company for 18 years and had a level of success, but never had, had finished college. So uh, at 47 years old, I went back to college to study economics and political science. And uh, in December, I actually earned degrees in both of those. And I'm continuing in a master's in economics. And I think that's incredibly important, given that Congress has the power of the purse. Right. And there are only two U.S. senators that have degrees in economics. Two. And both of them are Republicans. Uh, and, and while I can pick on the Republican economic plan, uh, but they're also uh, 70 and 80 years old. So they got right. their economics degrees prior to 1980. When William Taft was in the... <laughs> <laughs> White House. <laughs> right. So, so the world's a little different place than it was uh, in you know the 1970s economically. Absolutely. Uh, and so that's uh, that's part of what I think was important for me to do, and part of what I think uh, of of what I believe I needed to 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 bring to this is um, you know a sense of of economics, aesthetic sense of political psychology. Um, a sense of data analysis, of understanding statistics, um, and ideally also a sense of teaching, which is what I did at, at FedEx for so long, because I think it's important that politicians, um, we use the, the, the phrase listen, learn, and share. Um, I was told by a political consultant when I started to run that I couldn't be an instructor and a politician. What? I, yeah, you can. Well, I thought that was tragic, but it, it his point was, and, and I get it, is it goes to our attention span right now, right? Where so often it's memes, it's one minute TikTok videos that, uh, you know, I do three minute ones, but um, right, our attention spans are sh so short. And to be an instructor requires time, uh, requires uh, both both that I spend the time to learn, right? Or my staff is, is researching things for me to, to disseminate it down into something that I can turn around and, and present easily. Um, and that people are willing to take the time. You know, inflation's a great example. I did a, a you're on TikTok with me, which is where, where we met. Absolutely, yeah. And I did an eight-part video series on inflation. It's 24 minutes long. Oh, I watched them all. <laughs> Thank you. And that just touches on inflation, right? But the easy thing to say is, oh, it's Biden's fault. Well, yeah, right. No. I'll, I'll, I'll put a little bit of blame there, but we also need to understand global economics and what's going on. Um, and so that, there you go. There's a long answer to a short question, a little bit about me. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I love it. I love it a lot. So this uh, icebreaker question uh, might reveal more about you as a person than anything I'm going to ask you uh, on this list. And that, sir, is what is your favorite movie or what is a movie or TV show that you uh, have watched recently? that you highly recommend uh people to watch and uh, why okay um 
and I'll throw this out at you. One of the interview questions that we use for people is, who is your favorite comedian? Uh, it throws go. people off a little bit. Uh, it's not something they're prepared for. And uh, it gives a little bit of insight into their personality. And if they say, I don't have a favorite comedian, well, then perhaps I don't want them to work for me. Um, <laughs> right. So uh, let me think. Uh, one of the ones that that I'm watching uh, right now uh, with, with my wife is uh, Star Trek Discovery. So I'm a geek. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Trek fan. And I think they've done uh, an incredible job with that show. We really enjoyed it. And um, we, uh, so just kind of a fun story along with it. It was, I was about halfway into season three, I think, and I uh, had it up on the TV and my, my wife caught an episode or two with me. And all of a sudden now I, I you know, she wants more. So now I, I found myself explaining more and more about, you know, what had happened, of course, in seasons one and two. And uh, uh, finally, we just went back and, and watched them all. And, uh, and and caught up and and so now they've they've got discovery uh, and they've continued on they've they've got the Picard series which is fabulous and, and coming out in uh, again a couple of days and I'm looking forward to and what I enjoy about Star Trek so much uh, in uh, you know the the the, the more recent seasons or the more recent shows are perhaps a little less campy uh, than you know the original series and next gens and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, the production value is certainly considerably higher, uh, but it, it's there. There's an aspect to it of it's what we would like life to be, right? The opportunity to visit the stars, to visit other planets, other places, uh, and to not have a job. <laughs> yeah. In order to do it, uh, you know, to have uh, an economy that happens, right? Of course, there's gold-pressed platinum and, and uh, you know, the Ferengi. But um, what a uh, what a goal, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, to 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 be able to provide for everybody, to be able to have opportunity. And it's not that there's not you know order and, and uh, uh, you know captain and commanders and, and all that sort of stuff, uh, but the interesting thing with Star Trek is there's no economics, right? which, again, I find fascinating because I love economics. Yeah. But but so many of our problems that we have today in life are economics. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so there's there's one of the many. Uh, I'm I'm a sci-fi fantasy fan, so I, I watch everything from you know the magicians to uh, uh, to Star Trek. Oh uh, well, um, my answer to that would be Yellowstone. Um, and if you don't know about that, uh, it's about this. Uh, Kevin Costner portrays John Dutton, um, who is basically the cowboy version of a mafia boss, essentially. Um, and what is crazy about it is uh, this man is no change. I don't want any type of change. I want things to stay the same. I want to keep my land, um, everything like that. Um, but Kevin Costner in real life, uh, in 2020, he endorsed, uh, now secretary, uh, Pete Buttigieg. And it's, it's strange how he can be, uh, more of a liberal person in, uh, real life, but portray such a I, I don't know. He, he's a bad guy, but you, he's a person that you hate 
to love in some cases, some cases you love to hate him, sure. uh, you know, but it, it's it's crazy uh, that there are actually people like that that are still around uh, the. It, I mean, originally that land wasn't his. It was uh, Native American people's land, but somehow he and his family acquired it and uh, through uh, donating it or not donating it, but uh, leaving it to uh, generation to generation with inheritance, uh, it's ended up in his hands. And he's thinking, oh, I made a promise to my father to keep this thing going, at least to pass it on to the next generation. And I can't do that in today's world. Um, but he does what he has to do to keep that promise. And nothing is off the table uh it's 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 crazy um but now uh we have to get into the political stuff so um i i, I had a my original uh, number one question to you uh i i took off because uh when you emailed me back saying what organizations uh things of that nature I figure I, I realized that that was wasn't a fair question because I just looked up a statistic uh, on it and it doesn't say what programs, et cetera, et cetera. So without me being able to prove that as fact, I'm not going to bring it up. So well, let's uh, do this if, if, if you're willing, because I actually delved into a little bit. And your first question was, I, I think, is important and, and I and I so here, here uh, if, if you're up for it, let's let's catch it a little bit anyway, because I think it's a cool question. OK. Um, and so it was getting into to U.S. help, um, uh, in particular associated with Women and Children's Health International. Uh, and I think it was half, uh, you know, we've we've cut the, the uh, uh, fatality rate or mortality rate for kids under five across the world. And, and my question back was, what program are we talking about, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and, and I ask that because oftentimes when, when statistics are brought up, there's, you know, something behind it. Uh, and, and so uh, that, that certainly didn't seem to be the, the case here based on what you just said. It was just based on, on a piece of data. Um, but the United States has a variety of international programs for helping uh, uh, families, women, children, uh, uh, countries internationally. Uh, we've got the, the US aid, which is the Agency for International Development. And one of the things that has happened, and, and I think this is, uh, we just saw it at the beginning of the Biden administration, it happened in the Trump administration, and we've seen it going back to, uh, to really the Reagan administration, is foreign assistance in particular for women uh, and women's health. And we have a foreign assistance bill from 1961 uh, that prohibits us from sponsoring uh, any organizations that would uh, that, that do abortions, right? and it's similar to the to the way that U.S. law is set up uh, uh, domestically as well. And and we, you can debate how we feel about that one, but that's the law, and and, and that's fine. So I'm I'm not entirely opposed to that. But um, in '84, Reagan got more involved in it and said that no, we wouldn't uh, provide money to organizations that even talk about abortions, uh, uh, again domestic or internationally. 
uh, or counseling for abortions, which of course is, is kind of ridiculous. And that has bounced back and forth with every president. Uh, every president, um, Democratic or Republican, has switched that law back on or off, depend or not that law, but that that um, executive order on or off, <laughs> to say yes, we can help organizations that uh, again not provide uh, abortions, but provide women's services uh, and education, uh, or not. And Biden rescinded Trump's law, or Trump's executive order, uh, at the beginning of January, uh, which is which is totally to be expected. But where I want to go, and, and it's, a, it's a little bit off topic from the abortion aspect of things, but I think it's interesting when you talk uh, the United States and international assistance in particular with women is Afghanistan. And of course, we had the whole Afghan pullout and the Afghan war, and, and we're not even going to delve into that topic here. But specifically no. what's happened now yeah, in the last six months is with the United States pulling out, uh, the other thing that we pulled out was uh, all of our revenue, all of the money that we were doing, and we actually uh, uh, locked down some of the Taliban, or actually I shouldn't say Taliban, sorry, some of the Afghan bank accounts uh, to the tune of about $9 billion. Uh, yeah. And with the argument of we don't want that money going to terrorists. Uh, but it's not Taliban money, it's not terrorist money, it's the money of the people of, Af of Afghanistan. And what has happened because of that action, as well as some other actions, is that, and, and like I said, us pulling out, is that we have caused, and, and I use the term caused pretty deliberately, we have, the United States decisions there have caused massive starvation. We right now have in, in Afghanistan a million kids uh, under the age of five that are malnourished. Well, that's tragic. Absolutely. So many reasons, right? And it's not just for those kids there, but here's always the dominoes. And this is what I talk about a lot with the campaign, right? Knocking things down. What's the next layer? Um, what's the next step? Is that all that we are succeeding in doing, aside from killing children, um, and with the Taliban taking over, of course, they removed women from, from roles of education and jobs and stuff. So it has killed their economy. And that's on them, right? That's, that's the Taliban's perception of women. Um, but their economic stability, or I shouldn't say stability because there is no stability, um, the, the um, uh, GDP per capita for Afghanistan before we pulled out, before the Taliban took over, was $570 a year. Right. Really? 500, yeah, $570 a year per person. Oh, my goodness. And now women, which made up a lot of healthcare and a lot of education, have been banned from working. So not only has it destroyed part of their economy, but of course it is destroying health and education in the economy as well. And now we've also cut off the rest of their funding that the government could use to even feed their people and a million kids under the age of five are about to be malnourished. So welcome to the dominoes that we have started to knock over. Exactly. And I, I, I have a difficult, uh, I'm torn by uh, the issue of uh, Ukraine, okay? Uh, because anytime we go to war with anybody, um, and uh, more specifically where the war takes place, uh, we just leave. We, we leave. We don't fix uh, areas. Uh, for the civilians, we we don't do that. We just leave. 
Um, and it, I, so ideally, no war, right? But um, we have for I mean, since uh, history began uh, being recorded by writing, things like that, um, a little uh, more than 5,000 years ago, uh, the one thing that has uh, stayed the same between humans is war. Uh, we, we are very good at fighting each other. Even in the U.S., if you're uh, on one side of the political aisle, it's no longer just a friendly disagreement. It's a screaming match, essentially. Um, and and I, I'm torn because obviously with uh, NATO, uh, we have a an agreement there, you know, uh, that we have to uh we have to uh keep our word basically um but i i i just feel like the might of russia and the might of uh basically west versus east in this scenario if things get that bad hopefully they don't hopefully putin is able to uh get what he uh not what he wants but uh get enough out of it to be like yes i kept my word to the people i'm a strong man look at my muscles um and we can just pull away and uh then send in uh aid but the the thing that i'm having an issue with is i just can't uh move away from uh, what you told me about the Afghan children, I did not know about that. Um, yeah. That our action ended now in inaction, uh, in my point of view, is killing Afghan children. And it's, it's, uh, it's repercussions, right? Yeah. Um, and some of them are predictable and, and some of them are not. So uh, would you, uh, as senator, I'm not saying that this happens. If if you become, uh, I'm I'm very confident that that you can win, um, and uh, everything. But I'm not saying that this uh, will happen. That any such bill will ever exist. But hypothetically speaking, uh, would you support a bill that? Uh, maybe says something to the effect of hey we'll uh help the uh, civilians in afghanistan financially i think there's there's potential value to it right and, and here's one of those where i haven't spent much time thinking about it but what i can tell you so i i took a course actually this past semester on authoritarian regimes and we spent a lot of time studying Russia, studying China, um, and studying other historical uh, authoritarian regimes. And I actually did a research paper uh, talking about or delving into a little bit about the idea of sanctions and how effective they are. And we use them all the time, right? We've used them on Cuba for 60 years now. Oh, yeah. And so effective. Uh, and, the, and, and some sanctions can be effective depending on what we're trying to do with them. 
if we're trying to, um, uh, you know, military sanction to have, uh, you know, a, a country stop um, uh, providing weapons, for example, um, right? Or we, uh, uh, the the uh, Iran nuclear uh, agreement that Trump trashed, um, but was essentially, you know, we'll lift sanctions and you won't create nuclear weapons. Um, and that was actually effective uh, un until the U.S. pulled out. So depending on what we want to do, what we want those sanctions to do, they can sometimes be effective. But if we want those sanctions to change the regime, okay, to eliminate uh, or to, to uh, whether internally or externally, right, have, have that regime, uh, you know, so the people rise up against it uh, or it, it withers and, and dies, those sanctions rarely work because those sanctions hurt the citizens of that country, right? When we cut off money, when we cut off supplies, when we cut off uh, international trade, whatever it might be, it's not the, the rulers, it's not the authoritarian figures that ever suffer. No. It's not those in power that ever suffer. It is the people. Yeah. And here's, here's the rest of that problem, is then the propaganda that goes along with that that comes from those regimes is the United States is doing this to you. Yeah, exactly. And consequently, it creates an entire generation or multi-generations, again, you know, Cuba, of, of people in a country that, right or wrong, have grown up hating us. And that can never be good. No. So... I think we need to have a better understanding of what we're trying to do and how we're going to go about it. The idea of the United States being in Afghanistan, and, and I know we said we weren't going to get into this, but I'll at least touch on it a little bit. The idea of the United States being in Afghanistan for 20 years, um, you know, or Iraq, and the, the idea of bringing democracy, right? we, we love that idea conceptually. Like I said, yeah. in 2020, 2019, the GDP per capita for for Afghanistan was $570. That doesn't equate to the opportunity for democracy. Right. Right. Democracy right. requires some level of financial freedom. That is a core component. Yeah, that was absolutely. That was never there. So the idea of us being there could only be harmful. Right? It was never going to accomplish that goal. Right. We might have been after uh, Osama bin Laden. Okay, that's a different animal. But for us to have spent the, the next 20 years there trying to do God only knows whatever the hell we were trying to do, quite frankly, um, was was never going to benefit the people of Afghanistan and never going to benefit us. So I think that there were other options um, that might have been that might have been smarter. Um, and now, unfortunately, the scenario is the Taliban has done what the Taliban is going to do. And it might be the end of the Taliban, quite frankly. Right? Starvation tends to create motivation, tragic and, and awful and terrible as that sounds. Um, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, though. You're, you're right. I mean, um, someone uh, looks at, uh, well, I mean, the women and children uh, now, they might look at us with like, they're okay, type of like neutral uh, way they might love us some might hate us but they know that the taliban is who did this uh not not 
all of this, but recent uh, things that have happened. Um, but, you know, I, I just would ideally like to never have to send a soldier abroad, never have to uh, have our president authorize a drone strike, uh, anything at all. I, I don't like the idea of having having sometimes to kill people. Um, I mean, the, the, the moment that we found out that there was not weapons of mass destruction, we should have just left. Um, but we were, as uh, we stayed, we, and something that is common, uh, I'm not saying that this is the case for all veterans who fought in Afghanistan, but multiple veterans who uh, I'm friendly with, um, once uh, they, uh, we pulled out of Afghanistan, they were making videos of themselves, sad, hurt, angry, uh, some even in tears saying, uh, you know, uh, I watched my friend die because of this. And for what? You know? And, and that's, that was, in my opinion, that was unfortunately the only outcome that we could ever expect. Absolutely. I mean, and a lot of people say, well, look at what Biden did with the pullout. And I say, how would you do it differently? That is what was left in his lap from four previous presidents. And yeah, and uh, Donald Trump, rather than making a deal with the Afghan government, he went to the table with uh, the Taliban. There's an, and if people don't believe me, Google that. You can find the, uh, what is it, like three or four pages of a, an agreement online with the Taliban. He wanted to have the Taliban at Camp David on 9 11. Yep. That man is insane. And it's crazy to me that his advisors had to tell him, hey, that's not a good look. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Okay, uh, I, agree. I agree. All right. So long, long topic to, to a question that we weren't going to delve into, but uh, but I'm glad that we did, because I, I think there were some important things to discuss. There. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so um, this one I've seen in person um, wearing the and it's a long winded, winded question. So please bear with me on this. Uh, wearing of face masks and vaccinations are here to counter the spread of COVID-19 and prevent death. Um, it uh, has always been very simple in my mind. Uh, I have trusted my doctors with my life. They have never let me down. Uh, yet the things that uh, doctors and scientists are telling us, this is what you should do. Even if your own doctor is their their own doctor is telling them to do this uh, to combat the global pandemic, um, they have become yet another political flashpoint. Uh, what do you, uh, Adam Murphy, say uh, to some overly animated person who 
contends that uh, being temporarily required to wear a mask in a grocery store and or getting vaccinated is somehow tantamount to oppression. Well, here's here's my mask around my neck because I'm here at UW Milwaukee and they're required. Um, I wish it were so easy, right? Yeah. Because it seems like it should be. Uh, and and it became politicized, and we talk about that and why. And part of it is trust. Right? I think we have a massive trust issue going on, and that's not just politically, although clearly uh, it, there's a, a political uh, aspect to it. But sure. Uh, but virtually everything, and, it, and what it has become is a distrust of the government uh, and a distrust of authority, which coming from the GOP is kind of funny, having an authoritarian in place in, in the role of Trump. Uh, but, but that's really kind of the core psychology that we're dealing with, is a distrust and so, yeah, do I think masks and vaccines are super easy and make perfect sense? Of course I do. Um, and the, the guy in the, uh, and, and we've seen it, right, uh, both in TV and in person where you know, I'm not, I'm, I'll wear, I won't wear my mask and I have a right to come in. Well, no, it's a private business. You actually don't. Yeah, that's their and, property. Right. And, and I find that kind of funny, too, right, because there's the aspect of, uh, you know, my freedoms, uh, but you don't want to respect somebody else's right, freedoms of, of their business. And one of the ways that I try to present it to people that, um, uh, you know, have, a, have, have the argument that uh, we've shut down the economy, uh, you know, that, that's, that's what the Dems wanted to do. And so, okay, so if you're in, uh, you know, in your neighborhood, you've got some small businesses that, that you like to frequent, right? local bars, your favorite restaurants, uh, your, your, you know, your local grocery store, whatever it might be. If you appreciate those businesses and you want them to survive, you want them to thrive, you want to be able to go back to them, then the best thing that you can do for those small businesses that you like is to wear a mask and get vaccinated so that we can help get past this. So it's a different message, right? It's not do the right thing. And, and I'll say that, you know, it's part of my campaign where the, the democratic platform is oftentimes let's do the right thing, do the right thing for society. And a conservative mindset, and, and I, let me qualify something here. I, I very distinctly separate the GOP, so the party and the politicians itself from conservative voters. Absolutely. Uh, I don't think the GOP represents conservatism any longer. Uh, no, 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 but, no. But if you're, but but individualism, right, is very much part of the the conservative psychology, the conservative mindset. And so, if we as Democrats are out there saying, "Listen, do this because it's the right thing to do. Do this because it's good for society," that doesn't connect because they have a different way of thinking. We have different ways of thinking. And that's totally understandable. And what's difficult 
for both Democrats and or liberals and conservatives, however it is that you want to, whatever labels you want to use, is that we think differently. Yeah. And so it's not uncommon, and I think this is a great example. It's not uncommon for both both sides in, in this one to look at the other and go, I don't understand how you can think that. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. We certainly look at them and go, why do you not understand that wearing a mask is easy and it's you know not infringing on your rights? Right? Teenagers might be a little offended because oh you know it's covering up their faces, but most kids going back to school, for example, it's no big deal. Right? If you're in second, third, fourth grade, you don't care. Yeah, um, they're, they're they're there to talk to their friends, and you know they like the cool designs on their masks. Right? Some <laughs> like most do. They're like, I like dinosaurs, so I'll wear a dinosaur mask. You know. Right? Right. Absolutely. I've seen some phenomenal ones. Uh, Absolutely. Know, creative you know, ones. Right. All, all bejeweled and, and, uh, and decked out. And so, but if that's our argument, that's never going to connect with somebody that doesn't think the same way that we do. So if their mm -hmm. argument is, this is my right, this is my individual personality, right? My, my individualism. Then we need a different message for them. And what would that if, be? Well, and that's why I said, if business is the important thing, if them being able to, how do we get back to, do you want to be able to go back to your, your favorite corner bar, right? Where you've been hanging out, your norm, you walk into cheers. Okay, okay, right? yeah. Okay, if that's important to you, then that small business is only going to survive if we wear masks, get vaccines, and get over this. Right. right. I just literally, uh, maybe an hour before getting on here, I got an email from UW-Milwaukee that they are, uh, in mid-March, canceling the mask mandate. They've gotten to the point where the, the infection rates are, are down and the uh, vaccination rates are up high enough uh, that they feel comfortable saying, we as students and as instructors no longer have to wear masks on campus uh, in a couple of weeks. And that's awesome. 40% of conservatives, of GOP voters, right, of Republican voters, are not vaccinated. Yeah, well, that's that's a, a large portion of the people that are not vaccinated overall, and all that has done is slowed the, slowed this process down. So that's what I think we needed to do. And and I got the I understand their frustration, right? When and and it's valid when we looked at uh, when all this started. No, you don't need an N95 mask. Well, the reason that we that the CDC said that is because we had a limited supply of N95 masks and they wanted to make certain that they were going to go to healthcare workers because that they knew that those were going to be the people most at risk because they were going to be interacting with people with, with COVID. But that wasn't put out there well. Right? That wasn't explained well. Right. So then when we turned around and said, okay, cloth masks are not the best. And let's be honest, right? My cloth mask is decent, but an N95 is certainly better. Well, we have the supply of N95 and KN95 masks now, or K94, whatever it is, to, for everybody to be able to use. They are better than a cloth mask. So that's part of the reason that this has changed. But if we're not having those conversations, if we're not explaining it, then, oh, the CDC is flip-flopping. Well, no, the CDC isn't flip-flopping. This still stops a lot of my breath <laughs> from coming out. Yeah, Trust it me, does. I know every time I have a Euro, um, I made that mistake. Um, yeah, that was a terrible decision. Stop for your euros at lunch when I was down here in class, and then I still had two hours of class. That was, that was awful. Um, so I think that's that's part of it. Is right. It's it's the same thing I, I've said with with some of these other topics. Is we got to think a step or two ahead. Um, how is it going to be received? Who are we talking to? Who are we communicating with? How is it going to change down the road? And how do they think so that we provide different messages? 
that connect with them. Um, yeah, that I I think that's perfect. Um, to be honest with, I think you're you're right. We should have looked at it on more of like a an individual basis, if that makes sense. Um, and just saying like this is what science and doctors are saying to do. And look, I'm I'm not going to uh, make you comment on it. I will just tell you my opinion about this. Um, if Donald Trump and I'm look, I'm not blaming all of this on him because it's just no, warp, warp speed, whatever they did for that was was amazing. For absolutely, the vaccines. I mean, incredible. The, the vaccines were created under a Republican yeah. um, and they're being dispersed through a Democrat. That's that's it. Right. Um, but I, I just think that, uh, you know, uh, if he would have wore a mask when he was telling people wear a mask, wear a mask, but he wasn't doing it himself and his staff and him got COVID from it. And I think it would have been great if he would have, as a leader, our leader at the time uh, would have wore a mask. I think it would have made a world of difference. You know, and and we saw just recently where he was interviewed. Uh, was it? Uh, uh, well, there was the Candace Owens ones, but where where he was uh, asked about the vaccine, and he's like, "Listen, take the vaccine. I've taken it. Everybody needs to get it, right? We created it. It's and, and the crowd booed him." Yeah. Oops. Yeah, I believe that was in Alabama. There you go. There you go. So, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, Donald Trump. Uh, this, the simple truth there is, he was never a leader. Uh, and no. and I don't think that was ever his goal, right? There's there's a difference between being a CEO and being a leader, and and Donald yeah. Trump always felt you know power versus leadership, and those are two very very different things. Yeah, and uh, when he said you know uh, I, I'm going to run this business or this country like a business, I was like there are so many other ways and things that you need to know before becoming our commander in chief. You know, <laughs> oh, well, my. first and, and the first thing he needs to know is is that the government, the U.S. government in particular, cannot run like a business. It, no, it's, it's impossible. And that's a whole series of videos that I've got to do because people ask me about it all the time as a small business owner. But yeah, the U.S. government is not a business; can't be run like a business. Uh, the president is not the CEO; he doesn't get to just make decisions. No. And and for anybody that wants a little insight on that, read Lee Iacocca's book from back in the '80s or '90s. Uh, where he was, uh, people were trying to get him to run for, for president. And Tip O'Neill, uh, um, Speaker of the House, was a friend of his. And, and Tip O'Neill said, no, Lee, you do not want to try to run for president. You don't want to be president. He said, because you're CEO and you're used to making decision, and it happens. And that is not how the government works. No. And, and so that's that's one of the many ways uh, that government is is not business but again that's a whole series of videos and we could talk about that for a long time <laughs> absolutely we could um all right so this is a, a short question but i uh expect that uh your answer will be a why as well i don't think you're just gonna say yes or no on either of these uh next two questions um uh but the federal a death penalty keep or repeal modify 
Um, the Democratic platform is generally opposed to the death penalty. Right. Uh, it's, it's part of the, the uh, I think, both uh, the state of Wisconsin uh, and Wisconsin doesn't have the death penalty, but, uh, but I think it's part of their platform, and, and I know it is for the national platform. Um, personally, I believe that there are crimes that are heinous enough that deserve it. Uh, but from a criminal justice standpoint, we have certainly failed so many of those those people that are on death row. Um, so if you're familiar with the book or the movie Just Mercy um, from Brian Stevenson, uh, he's, a, he's a black lawyer that uh, takes on uh, death row cases uh, and he has started the Equal Rights Initiative and my wife and I actually donate to it. Uh, that's, that's how strongly we feel about it. The, the way that the death penalty has been used here in the United States is tragic absolutely so, so from that perspective i could certainly i, I certainly do understand why uh, people uh, are, are opposed to it and so generally speaking i would say that i am opposed to it like i said I, I think that there are scenarios where i could uh, i can make the justification i think if we're going to keep it then what we need to do is put in incredibly incredibly specific targets and incredibly difficult targets right? i mean there has to be unequivocal DNA proof uh, and, and you know some, some things along those lines because we have seen so many of these cases where it was racism um, uh, was, was a, a critical factor and quite frankly poverty um, and that happens white or black um, uh, where, where wealth versus poverty is oftentimes the key factor in whether and, and whether the death penalty even is brought up as a, a possibility. Uh, right. And so that gets into the equality of justice uh, here in the United States. Uh, and so, so I would, uh, don't get me wrong, I would be perfectly comfortable having it repealed. Um, I, I don't think it's necessary by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm, I'm fine supporting that uh, if, if we choose to go that way. Like I said, I, I think that we could, uh, there are people that are, that do things that are so heinous that I, I think it is justified. But I I'm agree. Not at all opposed to to saying you're in life for prison, or you're in prison for life. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I I agree with you. Uh, a hundred percent on that. Um, I like the way that you said modify. You didn't just go with the two that I I gave you modify. Because that's doable. There is 0% chance that totally uh, repealing the death penalty, that's not going to happen. It just wouldn't. But uh, I think that you're reasonable uh, where, you're, where you're coming from. DNA, uh, finger, you have to unequivocally know that the person committed this crime. And, and we could limit it to, to specific ones, and of course we pretty much do. Um, but yeah, I think I think that there could be uh, that there could be interaction and, and planning, you know, analysis between uh, judges, between uh, prosecutors, between defense attorneys, uh, and between you know 
organizations like like Brian Stevenson's organization and some of the others uh, to to potentially identify and say, okay, these are the incredibly rare circumstances where we feel that that the United States government is justified in taking somebody's life. Um, but it, but I think it needs to be pretty rare. Um, and like I said, I, I'm perfectly comfortable saying, no, we're 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 going to keep in prison. It's going to cost us more. We understand. Um, yeah. But again, it's 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 a really really small number, but it's ultimately somebody's life. Yeah, absolutely, somebody's kid. I, I agree with with that aspect of it uh modify modify it i like that i was actually uh did a mock interview with my friend last night for a couple of reasons uh to kind of test my questions and um also to test out the quality of a zoom recording um so i i did and uh he something that uh my friend said was um if someone is sentenced to death it uh then should have to go in front of uh, the supreme court of the united states to say yes this person is uh guilty beyond a shadow of a doubt or reasonable doubt uh is what it's said uh but with putting someone to death um yeah i that's, i that's i an interesting that's an interesting idea and it's something that congress could actually do right because um, congress has the is has the control over what types of court cases the supreme court gets to see um, right so it's it's an interesting thing of course they've not always been consistent and, and that has changed over time uh they have allowed at some times children to be uh, sentenced to death at other times, uh, remove that. Um, uh, people with mental disabilities uh, is, is another one that has bounced through the, the Supreme Court and, and I believe has changed over time. Uh, but I, 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 there's, right off the top of my head, um, it seems as though there's merit to scenarios like that uh, where, okay, let's, let's have somebody that's perhaps outside the scope uh, review things. I think that's valid. Well, I, I think that I need to make it clear because both of the of the friends that I uh, tested this with last night, uh, one of them is going to say, no, I did not say that. Um, <laughs> but my friend, Justin, so I, I got to put that out there. Justin is the one that I'm talking about. Fair enough. All right. What's next? All right, sir. Um, so former Secretary of State uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, she says and uh, that we remain even though uh you know uh, we, he's not in office anymore in a constitutional crisis because of donald trump do you agree uh that we are now in a constitutional crisis and uh why or why not i didn't i i, I wouldn't have thought so a little over a year ago uh, and even the the events, the the rioting that happened associated specifically with January 6th, I, I would have said no. But then what happened after those riots, right, after the storming of the Capitol? So first of all, you had 145 GOP members of Congress after 
hundreds of thousands, hundreds and thousands, excuse me, of people, and I think we've had over 700 arrested, stormed <laughs> the Capitol building. 145 GOP members of Congress voted to decertify the election. Right. That's fucking insane. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Yes. Right? It is. And it uh, angers me to my core. Right. There, and there's and I apologize. There is no other way. No, this podcast it. has an explicit <laughs> rating, so people Oh good. <laughs> I've just been keeping my tongue because I you, you're you're probably going to be a senator, so I'm not <laughs> no, going well. to swear in front of a possible senator. Thank you. Although you know what beta or work, you I dropped it for quite a quite a few times, although that didn't necessarily work out well for me. But no. um so, so that was part of it, right? 145 members of, of the House and Senate chose to deliberately vote against the will of the United States voters. Seven, I think it's seven states sent in, including Wisconsin, right? Sent in electoral certifications that were illegal. Fraud, fraudulent. Right, right. There is no other way to put it. And, and we're now at the point where one of the candidates that's running for governor in Wisconsin, one of the Republicans that's running, is still actively promoting the election fraud lies. And that's all they are. Well, it's because he wants the endorsement of Trump. There's one right. thing that Donald Trump cares about that is on your platform, and it is, is if you are uh, a person who continues to voice lies that the election was not free fair uh and not i i don't know it wasn't some type of uh theft um but if his if those candidates they could advocate i'm going to kill a puppy every day as governor um but if if they talk about that one thing donald trump will say good guy great woman whatever um that's all he cares about yeah and and there's a lot of power behind that and absolutely therein lies, therein lies you know the is that the constitutional crisis right we're at the point where where congress right now is looking at passing laws um the <laughs> Right. The, the GOP just came out and said that January 6th was legitimate political discourse. Come on. Um, but the, the Congress right now is looking at modifying the law associated with the electoral college count. Uh. Because of Donald Trump. And here's the funny part. Uh, they're doing it in large part because they're concerned that Kamala Harris might choose to do what they wanted Mike Pence to do which was ignore the will of the voters, which Kamala Harris is absolutely not going to do. But no. The GOP, and again, this is the distinction between the GOP and conservative voters, the GOP, and I can't even say those in power, right? Because Mitch McConnell has come out and said he's supporting the, the bill to, to rewrite this a little bit to make it incredibly specific that the job of the vice president is literally to count, right? It's something that we all learned to do at four years old. It, uh, yet, right. So that's the constitutional crisis is that they are, and, and I use the term they meaning, uh, you know, in this case, Donald Trump 
hardcore supporters believing that the election was stolen. They are creating this scenario where we have to define every word because they're doing everything possible to get around it. In Wisconsin right now, one of the concerns is, is that the GOP um, in Wisconsin is going to try to go after the Secretary of State position very hard, and they're doing this across the country, in order to put the Secretary of State in power of the elections. In Wisconsin, he's not. Um, but like in the Georgia, uh, you know, you saw the, the Secretary of State down there, who was the ultimate person to certify the elections. That's, that's not the case in Wisconsin. So Wisconsin GOP wants to do that, assuming that they can get a GOP member elected into that role, because they want to put that that power into their hands to utterly ignore the will of the voters of Wisconsin and the United States. And that is consequently what I would certainly call a constitutional crisis. Okay. I agree. Uh, I, my listeners uh, will tell you that they've had to put up with me screaming into a void uh, about <laughs> this. If we as a nation um, prohibit one person who is legally allowed to vote from voting, uh, we are committing a grave injustice. Um, and there are state laws uh, that are, you know, going after uh, like uh, Abbott, uh, Governor Abbott of Texas, for example. Uh, he is like, okay, let's have one drop box per county. What? Some of those are some of those counties are enormous. One drop box. And then Georgia says, oh, you can't uh, deliver food or water. I don't get it. And, and it goes back to the idea, right, the very first software program I wrote, what can we do to make life easier? What can we do to make voting easier? And I, I said that to someone, and I'll never forget this. He said, we shouldn't be making it as easy as possible to vote. And I thought, well, yeah, yeah, we kind of should. Yeah, <laughs> right? absolutely. That's, that's absolutely what we should be doing. You know, so am I opposed to voter ID laws? Not entirely. I, I, I'm opposed to them when they're designed specifically to keep people from voting. Yeah. And I get the idea, right? Um, but then again, let's make it easy. When I was growing up, I was able to use my utility bill from where I lived, huh? something that identified where I lived. Right. Um, uh, so, yeah, what can we do to make it as easy as possible? So let's register everybody to vote when they turn 18, just like we register everybody to to. Um, sign up for the draft right um, yeah and there's there's now a, a bill or at least there was a bill proposed for doing that with women um but we certainly have the technology and the capability let's register everybody just like so many other countries in the world and let's encourage people to vote and then there are so many other things we should do like let's increase the size of uh, you know, the house of uh, representatives again uh, we did that for the first hundred years and we stopped doing that in 1913 so we're now at the point where a House of Representative member represents 761,000 people. Yeah. That's not representative. No. So so let's bump that up, whatever the number is. Let's say we double it. So now it's 360,000, 308,000. still a lot of people. But what would that do? That would make people feel more connected. That would make people feel more involved. It would also help reduce gerrymandering dramatically if we had twice the number of House members or three times the number of House members because all of the districts would be smaller. Well, we used to do it. When the country started, we had one representative for every 34, I think it was every 34,000 people. 
now it's one over 761,000. So do we need 15,000 members in the house? No, uh, but we've got to do some things and we can do some things to make things more fair uh, yeah. for voters. And it's not more fair about parties. I don't give a damn about the parties. No, right? me neither. The Democrats are gerrymandering all over the place, Illinois, Maryland. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's let's knock all that crap off. Um, yeah. And let's get back to to doing what we need to do for the voters. Absolutely. Perfect answer in my eyes. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I need more people like you in my world. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love it, though. Uh, something that uh, I, because I put it to. Uh, I, I promised uh, listeners um, I will put one question on there that you uh, want to uh, me to ask. And the overwhelmingly ma- the overwhelming majority of folks that uh, emailed me asked um, basically uh, this: uh, What is your stance on the legal legalization of uh, marijuana on a federal basis and granting amnesty to nonviolent offenders currently incarcerated for marijuana related charges. Sure. Super easy. Um, yes. Legalize it. Yes. Expunge records. Um, at the state level, Illinois started to do it uh, when they legalized it and made it recreational. Uh, and Illinois was going to have 700,000 records that they were going to have to expunge. 700,000. That's a, right, right. That's a huge number of people who have something small on their record that is keeping them from interacting with society as freely and, and as fairly as we would like them to be able to. Um, so it's bad for the economy. It's bad for us socially. It's bad for them you know, and their families. So expunging records uh, is, is super easy. Um, I, I mean, it's a difficult process. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but, but conceptually, I think it, it absolutely makes sense. Um, so legalize it, expunge the records. We've got to be able to, um, you know, remove it as a, a schedule one, uh, which is Absolutely. a big part of the problem. We need to be able to study it. Right? And so here's, here's the rest of the suggestion. Um, because one of the problems that we've got, and the reason it has to be dealt with at the federal level, is we've got, I, I forget what it is, 23, 29 states, something like that, that have some level of legalization, medical or, or recreational. Uh, and it's growing all the time. But because of the federal laws, they have trouble banking. Most of those transactions are all in cash. Right. So we literally have these guys, in some cases, taking hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash uh, you know, to the banks, uh, safety deposit boxes, whatever the case might be, paying taxes in cash, right? all sorts of, <laughs> of things. Um, right, just insane. Uh, and so, A, it's bad for business, and it adds additional costs. They're, they're adding security, right? So, so it, it, it's just colossally stupid. But that's because of the federal banking requirements. There are, I've heard that there have been some local banks, small community banks, that have been willing to be involved because they don't have the federal, um, you know, uh, interstate requirements and stuff like that, that. That you know, the large banks would. So there's the economic aspect, there's the business aspect of it that are affected. There's the legal aspect, um, and then here's the rest of what I would say. We know that um, uh, you know states are doing incredibly well with this uh, from a funding, from a taxation standpoint. Uh, Illinois and Michigan recently, uh, in the last couple of years, have gone to recreational marijuana, and their revenue from taxes from it last year was like $600 million. So not a small amount of money. So at the federal level, 
similar to the way that we do with alcohol or cigarettes or whatever, I think that we add an additional tax in there, 1% or something along those lines. And we specify what we're going to do with it. And here's what we do. We specify, actually, I think we do two things. At the federal level, I think we specify that that tax money goes directly to the CDC and NIH for studying marijuana, THC, CBD, and everything that goes along with it. Both from a drug standpoint, right? What benefits can we get out of it? What, what things can we create out of it? Uh, as well as from uh, an addiction standpoint, right? Um, so how do we help people that, that have problems with it? I think the drugs that we manage to, to create, uh, we make patent-free um, because it's the American people paying for it. So right. if we turn around and, and NIH and CDC and whatever the organizations that we get involved are able to come up with some cool new chemical product that, you know, can benefit us and great we make it available to the drug companies at no charge but they don't get to you know patent it um and we eliminate some of that competition because the american people paid for it and i think the other thing that we could do at the federal level uh, because we look at this from a commerce standpoint when it comes to the state levels is obviously states are making uh, a tremendous amount of money on these and, and that's state to state it changes um depending on what they put into place. But Colorado is a great example, right? I think they've had a couple billion dollars, and, uh, you know, a couple hundred million dollars that they've chosen to put towards schools. Yeah. Each state use it differently. So I think that we specify that a portion of state revenue, state taxes that's associated with it, let's say 25%, has to go towards the, um, uh, towards helping people that are addicted, right? Um, so rather than, so we're, we'd save a ton of money, first of all, by stopping the whole drug on war or war on drugs. Um, but what we're not great about is helping people, right? We like to punish. We don't always like to help. And so yeah. I think we specify at the federal level that a percentage of the, the state tax revenue, um, and then, you know, states can adjust and modify as they, as they want, but that a portion of it goes towards rehabilitation, goes towards uh, helping the people whose records are being expunged, goes towards... Um, uh, you know, job placement programs and stuff like that for educational programs, um, drug educational programs for uh, those individual states so that we force some level of, of education and of opportunity and of improved health um, based on that particular revenue. So I, I think there's some really, really good things that we could do. Uh, ex, you know, economically, we call them externalities. Uh, so what are the, the repercussions, good or bad? Uh, we know that, of course, that there are going to be some problems, right? Marijuana is not great for you uh, in the grand scheme of things, but there are certainly some people for whom it's hugely beneficial. Uh, and it's been illegal for 100 years, and that's kind of failed. So yeah. let's be smarter about it, and let's take advantage of the situation economically. Let's take advantage of the situation to help people, and let's make the overall system better. Uh, and so that's a couple of things that I think make sense to do there. That works works for me. I'm good with that. You're knocking them out of the. In my eyes, you're hitting them out of the, knocking them out of the ballpark, my friend. Uh, well, you, you, you give me an hour to talk, and and I can come up with some good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, I'm uh moving uh along to the last question that I left a surprise to you. Okay. Shoot. All right. So. My favorite president of all time is Theodore Roosevelt, uh, a man who created the National Park System, led the Rough Riders. Uh, he was the first New York City police commissioner. Uh, he became the governor of New York and uh, later became the president of the United States. 
But before becoming president, he was on the camp uh, campaign trail giving a speech. Someone shot this man. Um, and if it wasn't for a glasses case or something in his uh, breast pocket, he would have died. But uh, it still entered his body uh, and knocked him down. He got up and uh, continued speaking for 50 minutes. Uh, once elected president, uh, he had uh, the strangest White House pets ever. Uh, in the history of pres presidents, he had el an elephant at the White House. Um, he had uh, exotic birds, snakes, uh, etc. Just strange wow. animals. Right. Uh, so uh, with that being said, who is uh, Adam Murphy's favorite president? I am a huge fan of FDR. Um, speaking of Roosevelt. Yeah. Right. So first of all, obviously, he was the longest serving president um, in a, a job that's clearly not easy. We have seen every, uh, well, every president in our lifetime go pretty gray. Um, you know, he was elected at a time when we were stuck in the, in the middle of the Great Depression. Um, and between World Wars One and, and, and leading into World War II. Um, and did incredible things for this country in a wheelchair yeah he, he was yeah uh was i don't uh know this uh so you might uh did he have polio while president or did he have it while a, as a child do you know i do you know i have to admit i don't know off the top of my head because i know that he had to have really baggy pants made for uh the uh what are they called that go on your legs um that helped him be able to stand Braces and stuff. Braces, that. yes. And so, it, it, you know, imagine that in today's world. Right. right. Of course, incredibly difficult. The pain that he was in. Uh, he died in office. Um, but also, the world was changing. Right. And and I've talked about. I I liken the the Fed, uh, the FDR presidency to. Uh, Washington uh, and to Lincoln, right, where there were massive changes happening in the world, uh, massive uh, liberalism, if if you will. Um, you know, the, the, I'm sorry, the founding father, the fathers were radical liberals. <laughs> I guarantee yeah. you that uh, that that uh, you know King George was was the conservative in the group and didn't want change. Um, Abraham Lincoln, right, uh, despite the Republican moniker next to his name was, was certainly not like Republicans of today and, and was arguably a radical liberal in that in what he eventually did, even if he didn't uh, always think it was you know, where, where he had started. Uh, and I think FDR was, was certainly in that category where the world was changing. Um, the United States was changing dramatically. And what he did with the New Deal uh, as a way of pulling us out of uh, the Great Depression uh, and and he fought, right? He had to battle really, really hard. The Supreme Court at the time, there were five justices who were ultra-conservative. Well, four were ultra-conservative. They were actually called the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Um, and then the, the, the fifth uh, uh, was, was pretty conservative. And they blocked a lot of things that FDR tried to do with the New Deal. 
until he threatened to change the courts. Uh, <laughs> and, and and let me say very clearly, I'm a fan of changing the courts. I'm a change of, fan of changing Congress. And I say Maybe that well. be, because we haven't changed anything in 75 to 150 years. And the point of the Constitution, the very first words of it are to form a more perfect union. Right. And we stopped doing that. We you, stopped trying to change. Exactly. And uh, the uh, people uh, that formed this country, they wanted the Constitution to continually change as the population grew. Yeah, Jefferson promoted or uh, promoted the idea that we should have a new Constitution every twenty years. I love that idea. I think that I think that uh, be a little tough, but (laughs) yeah, I I think that we should have thirteen. I think that that is a fair number. Uh, So we would go up by four, uh, even more maybe. But I think thirteen is more palatable i guess that's that's why i figure that way you know yeah it's simple math when we when we created nine the supreme court was changed eight times between the start uh and 1869 Uh, and we haven't changed since 1869 it's been 150 years yeah um and we have full capability to do so and and my thought um and this is one that people want me to do a video on i need to talk about it uh is that we set it up and we review it on a regular basis, just like we do um, with the census in the house. So every 10 years, let's take a look at things. And this includes the federal courts, circuit courts, district courts, whatever. Right? We're at a point right now where there are 8,000 cases a year that are presented to the Supreme Court. They can't possibly deal with that. No, right? no. So how do we make it more efficient? How do we make it more effective? And how do we make it less political? Right? If we've got 13 or 15 justices or something along those lines, say we use 15 as a number, we could have three, five judge judge panels on the Supreme Court. I I, I agree with that. Uh, that you think out of the box, my friend. <laughs> I like that. I'm I a like small business that. Owner. It's my job. Well, I I am too. Um, and I recently started uh, because I have uh, my notary. Uh, notaries that whatever you call it a license to note be a notary um and i thought you know what um this cost me like 400 bucks overall because i have to get a bond uh to pay for the test uh everything um i have to pay like 300 bucks so what can i do to make a little money off of it uh lawfully in utah i cannot charge more than $10 per notarization. Um, And if they're currently a customer of mine, because I do uh, taxes, things of that nature, uh, notarization's free. But if not, then uh, I charge the 10 bucks if you come to me. But if you don't and you need me to come to you, I will. But you get, I can legally charge them for the travel. And uh, it's 50 cents a mile because that's what uh, the United States gives us per mile uh, when we do our taxes uh, every April. So uh, I I uh, figured that that was the only way to make a little money off of it because, I mean, the 
there are people out there that either can't or don't want to leave the house. Um, and I'm such a soft-hearted person that uh, I, I went to a couple of people's house. One was 40 miles away from me. And he called me at two in the morning and he said, hey, oh my uh, I totally forgot to have uh, this notarized. Can you please come and uh, look at it uh, and notarize it and all of that? Uh, and I found out that he is, was in a desert storm uh, and uh, he's working through PTSD and a bunch of other stuff. And uh, after all that he's done, he still loaned a buddy money. If I served in the military, I'd be like, I served in the military. I've done enough for you. <laughs> Don't come to me for money. But he was kind. Uh, enough to do that um so i said no charge no charge um because he said can i make a payment to you uh later when my buddy pays me back and i said don't worry about it and it blew his mind uh if you look at the google reviews for my business which i'm not you know it probably because of uh, me emailing you from my personal uh email but if you look it up, you'll get my phone number and I don't want that. So uh, uh, people create potentially crazy that are listening. Um, but I, I appreciate so much uh, you sitting down with me today and taking the time away from your students and family to do this. Uh, the amount of time alone that is involved with being a teacher. I know that very well because Seth's mom was a teacher before she retired. Uh, she would work until 1 a.m. on lesson plans, uh, which changed every year. So uh, the fact that you are a teacher. Well, let me, let me qualify. Uh, I'm, I'm still a student. Oh, a I'm, student. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm a student here at UWM. I'm, a student. I'm not an instructor. The only time I'm teaching is when I'm doing all the videos where I'm talking politics with people. No, okay. I'm, still, I'm pursuing a master's. Uh, that's right. I, I did not put those together. My apologies. No, but, I, still, I, but still, but <laughs> still, you're, you're, uh, I have a midterm running, tomorrow. <laughs> right. You're, you're running your business. You are a family man. Uh, you're going to school and you're running for United States Senate. When do you sleep? I get a few hours a night. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I don't think I could do that. I, I think I would have to turn the hand the reins of the business at least over to someone else. Just most be like, most of my, my employees do an amazing job, uh, and I appreciate them tremendously. We've been at it for 18 years, uh, and most of them, have, I think have, I, I think everybody's been with me for at least 10 years. Um, so they're, they're amazing, and, and they really take care of things. So um, I have to admit that I don't have to do a whole lot anymore other than sign the the occasional uh, piece of paper for, uh, you know, whatever, whatever needs to be notarized. Um, and my wife is fabulous uh, and does so much more for me than I could ever ask of her, uh, which allows me to do things like make a ton of videos talking about everything politics uh, oriented on a, on a regular basis. And those are incredibly time consuming, but I think it's incredibly valuable. Um, and it's, it's how we're running this race. It's what we're trying to do is 
is to communicate with folks, uh, not just Democrats, um, to present reasons and rationale for for other people, uh, for Democrats, for conservatives, for liberals, for uh, libertarians, um, to listen to what we're talking about and perhaps have some rationale, uh, some some reasons that, that connect with them, uh, and and that's the goal, uh, and it worked well for me uh, in 2020 when I ran for state senate, where we increased Democratic voting by 20 percent, and I didn't raise any money, um, all or 24 percent, excuse me. All we did was talk with people. Um, and teach people to talk with people. So from that standpoint, I'm an instructor. We're going to have workshops uh, coming up soon where we teach voters to how to talk with each other again because we've lost that ability. Yeah. Um, we, so, yeah. yeah, so we're having fun. We're doing some very different things tonight. As a matter of fact, I've got a, a meeting in 10 minutes with the, uh, the economics club here at UW-Milwaukee, and uh, we're watching uh, a presentation from, from the Fed from the St. Louis uh, Federal Reserve, talking about women and economics. So I'm looking forward to that. So I apologize. I'm, I'm going to have to run here pretty pretty quick uh, to get over to the union. But, All right. Uh, this has been awesome. I've, I've appreciated the opportunity. I was glad to finally get to some FaceTime with you. We've, we've been trying to do this for a while. Yeah. Uh, uh, please uh, visit the link in the description of this podcast episode uh, to donate to uh, Adam Murphy's campaign to become the United States Senator for Wisconsin. Um, once I signed up uh, at Act Blue, it takes me like five seconds to donate. I've donated to Stacey Abrams, Beto, you, others. Uh, uh, let's uh, continue where I left off. Um, if you are not yet registered to vote, visit vote.gov. To register to vote. Um, if you are unsure if you are registered to vote, vote.gov. Hell, everyone go and check to see if you're registered to vote at vote.gov. Yep. We have to protect our democracy. We have to. Uh, and the only way right now that I see that is vote for someone who is not a loyalist of Donald Trump. Um, and that seems to be the Democrats right now. Um, and you presented many great ideas. Uh, move to Utah if the if it's not <laughs> successful, please. I get that a lot. Thank you. <laughs> That's very kind. <laughs> but um, Mr. Murphy, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time, sir. Dewey, this has been awesome. Um, I, I want to throw this out. Like we've said, uh, we do a ton of videos. We, we met on TikTok. Um, and uh, one of the goals, one of the things that I, I spend a lot of time doing, and, and all of the, the social medias and websites is Murphy for WI, so Murphy, F-O-R-W-I, um, is I interact with people. I answer their questions. Um, so if you, uh, if your listeners have questions, if they have things that they want to talk about uh, and they want to get a little bit deeper into, the marijuana question was a great one, for example. Um, not only do we likely have stuff on it, but I'm always happy to interact. And I literally am responding to hundreds of people every week because that's what I think a candidate should do. I can attest to that. So Man of the people. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Take care. You as well.